Hey, 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 it is Vicki Howell, and this is the Craftish Podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Penguin Random House Audio. So if you listen to this podcast at all or have over the past few years, you know that I am a book lover. I very often have authors as guests. I'm an author myself, and if I had my druthers, I would be curled up with a good book most of the day. But since that is not necessarily my reality and may not be yours, that does not mean that we can't surround ourselves with audio delights throughout the day while we're working or making or, you know, just living life. That is where audiobooks come in. And Penguin Random House Audio has put together a curated list for the makers among us. And that that doesn't mean they're craft books. They're not. They're just great entertaining books for while you're making that next big project. So if you go to tryaudiobooks.com slash crafter, you can find that list. You can also just go to the search function and find all of the books. But while you're there over at tryaudiobooks.com slash crafter, be sure to download Ivy and Inky the Butterfly by Johanna Basford. They are now offering it to my listeners for free. And it, this is just a magical tale that you can listen to on your own or with the kids. Um, you know, just a little, a little bit of goodness for your ears. All right, so check that out. This week on the show is needle arts designer Jody Rice. Jody's company, Satsuma Street, was founded after unsuccessful searches for modern cross-stitch patterns inspired her to design them herself. So her background in both textiles and graphic arts made this a relatively natural transition, so she created a collection. And then she began to make those patterns, and then she made those patterns available for digital download on Etsy in 2013 and was blown away by the response. She had found a craft community need and filled it. I discovered her work when one of my besties was working on a Satsuma Street piece while our families were vacationing together last summer. Um, And then I also sort of rediscovered her when I was sort of ogling my friend Robert Maher's, our mutual friend's Instagram feed and found um, a piece that I ended up started working on as well, but I digress. Um, So during Jodi, my conversation with Jodi, we talked about how her transition from or we talked about rather her transition from working on blockbuster films to running a handmade business, her design approach, and what she does to block out all of the social media noise when it comes to her art. Let's meet her now. Jody Rice, thank you so much for being on the Craftish podcast. I, I wanted to dive right in with a quote from a, an interview that you did for crossstitching.com mm. in which you said, I love that my work isn't really done until someone takes my chart and makes their own project with it. And I wanted to explore sort of this symbiotic relationship that you as an artist have with those who make your craft kits. Yeah, um, that's interesting because I think it's something that people don't really get if they're not, um, you know, there's sort of a difference between people who sell a finished product that is like ready to hang on the wall or wear or, you know, put on your table or whatever. Um, and then there's those of us who sell, um, more sort of the recipe to do it yourself. And, um, it's, uh, 
especially with cross-stitch, I think it's an interesting dynamic because I think a lot of people are initially drawn to cross-stitch because it's very um, prescribed. You know, it's you follow these rules, you follow this chart exactly, and you will turn out um, a project that should look exactly the same, right? Unlike something maybe more like um, knitting, where there's a lot more sort of variables that can get involved and, and end up with a different looking product at the end. Um, cross-stitch is more, it's very straightforward and you should, if you follow the rules, you should end up with exactly the right project. Um, but uh, so I've originally, when I first started doing patterns, I didn't get that. I sort of thought, oh, people will be able to sort of just choose their own fabric. You know, I don't need to tell them, buy mm. this fabric. I don't need to tell them, use exactly this number of strands of, of embroidery floss. Because to me, the, those sort of choices were more personal. And I thought, well, I like to be able to to make things my own and, and make some of those choices myself. So I assumed everybody else felt the same way. Um, and then I got the feedback that, no, a lot of people want to be told, do exactly this. Um, do you think that's because of, is, of the nature just, of your particular craft? You were just saying that it's very sort of finite and precise versus if you were selling, you know, like spin art painting. I don't know where I got that one from, but just something that was that, that by definition is supposed to be a little more free form. Sure. Yeah. I think it's, it's, there are, I think some of it is that that certain type of people are drawn to cross stitch maybe more than other craft um, forms, you know, um, people who like the more sort of um, detailed, rigid sort of precision quality precision of it. Yeah. That's a better word than rigid. Um, but I think it's also that, that for a lot of people, um, crafting is just something that they want to do to relax and they want it to be something to occupy their hands and kind of calm them down when they're stressed. And um, the idea of having to make a bunch of decisions that they don't, that they're not sure if it's going to be the right decision um, that stresses them out, you know, and that's not why they're doing it. They are doing it because they want to calm down. And um, I hear that a lot, that people use my designs um, or use cross-stitching in general to kind of chill out. And so anything where there's a lot of unknowns um, would kind of the purpose of that activity for them. How, if at all, did the realization that you were having sort of more, a com more of a communication versus a one-way you know, monologues with your followers or your customers, did that affect how you approached your design or just even your business, how you put yourself out there? Um, well, it's different. I think it's definitely affected. I, I mean, I think in some ways, if it weren't for the um, technological world we live in right now, I wouldn't have a business. You know what I mean? If I didn't have that direct contact with my customers, um, I, 
it's the only thing that has has built my business from just being me alone in my studio kind of going, I think maybe people might like this, you know, and then you put it out there. And if it weren't for things like Instagram and Facebook and um, social media, I don't know how anyone would have ever discovered me. But I also found that I could communicate with my customers directly in a way that never have been possible in a different era, you know. Um, so it's definitely having that communication with people has built my business. That's the way that I've been able to figure out what people are looking for and what kind of, um, you know, more detailed instructions that people need and um, just trying to make the whole process of buying and making one of my patterns just as simple and enjoyable as possible for people. Um, that's really happened because I can communicate. But I also am very um, wary, I guess, of letting that communication affect my creative output. Yeah. Uh, um, if that makes sense. I don't, I, I really, it, it would be easy for me to just sort of go like, hey guys, what do you want me to design? <laughs> and then, you know, and then just do what other people want. But that's not um, the kind of the creative life that I want for myself. So I really, I, I try to kind of balance that. That's always um, the fine line that a creative entrepreneur walks, I think, regardless of what your, your conduit is, right? Is that, yeah. you know, the smart business person, of course, wants to in part cater, cater to their audience, while at the same time, one has to believe that the audience was attracted to your business for the aesthetic that you brought to the table. Right. And so finding that sweet spot probably is a game that we that that we in the creative industries all play. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like your customers feel like they're a part of the overall process? The, do they feel, you know, yeah. when, when you say that, you know, even though you've, you've obviously made finished samples and you've, you know, tested out different colors and, and altered charts, but you still say that you don't feel like it's complete until you see other people's hands on it. Do you think that your, that your people feel that and, and participate? Definitely. I mean, I think, um, again, you know, if it, it social media has just totally revolutionized this sort of industry because, you know, now it's so easy for those people to just, you know, share a photo on Instagram or on Facebook and hashtag it Satsuma street and, and I'm able to see it and they know that I can see it and I can comment on it and tell them, Hey, great job. That looks amazing. Or, Hey, you know, if you need, they'll ask me, Hey, how should I finish this? Or, um, you know, so there's a back and forth. And I think people who are really, um, devoted Setsuma street fans and followers, um, really appreciate that, that there's a person that they can actually communicate with mm. things. Um, you know, maybe unlike 
a kit that you might buy in a big box craft store that's produced by some corporation somewhere um, and that they don't know who's behind that, who's seeing this. If I, you know, put it out there in the world that, Hey, I made this, you know, there's a sort of disconnect there. And I think for a lot of people, they really appreciate being able to actually communicate with the creator directly, um, which is such a sort of great side effect of our, you know, current modern, uh, connectivity of all these different, you know, that we can all communicate so easily now. While we're talking about Instagram specifically, Mm. how do you as a creative type find the balance in becoming an inspired by both your community and other people's work and not feeling bombarded by other work and also creatively (laughs) threatened is the wrong word. No, I know what you're saying. Um, Yeah. Um, I very, this is something I'm pretty um, passionate about. I mean, I can really get on a soapbox about um, a creative uh, having, I don't know. I, in my mind, I use the word hygiene. I mm. do not look at any other cross-stitch designer's work. I don't follow any cross-stitch designers. I don't, um, you know, go through Instagram and look at what other people are doing. Um, very specifically because I don't want their that influence. I feel like your creative brain is like a sponge, kind of, and everything that you look at and take in is going to get in there and affect what you put out. Um, so specifically on Instagram, I, I follow all kinds of artists from all across the spectrum of creativity. Um, but I, I very, very assiduously do not follow cross stitchers, um, for that reason, because, um, I just don't, I I don't want to be shown that stuff all the time Um, because I think that is how in every discipline, I think things start to all look the same because we all kind of look at each other's work all the time, you know, and and that's, um, it's a really hard thing to prevent as a creative, you know, to prevent yourself from picking up on those influences and letting them come into your own work. That's Uh, so fascinating because in my, in my sort of niche, it, that would be impossible because it is so, (laughs) it's so community based. Uh, It's not feeding off of each other's designs, but more sort of rising tide. Mm is really important in the, in the yarn industry, just sort of where we're at, but it's also not, it would be a lot easier to be when you're working, you're working with grids and there's only so far that you can go with a grid. 
in a way right. in a way that is not an issue in in within a craft where you're not where there aren't those bounds. Right. So that makes sense in a way. But how do you you know if we're if we're speaking about the business side of it, how do you balance that out with algorithms that? Are paying attention if you're if you're commenting on other cross stitchers or if you're, you know, like we, let's set aside. We've talked about the, what you do for your creative brain, but how do you balance yeah. that out from the business perspective? You've said that your business would not be what it is without social media. So how do you attack that while still maintaining that integrity, that personal integrity that you're talking about? Well, to be totally honest, and this is probably going to appall most. Uh, entrepreneurs, I don't really do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about it. I don't, um, and I would probably be bigger, you know, as a, as a business if I did. But um, up until this point, I have just sort of relied on putting my stuff out there and letting word of mouth um, propel it to where it is. I don't spend much time at all, like figuring out what keywords should I be applying to this thing to get it, you know, to in a higher search ranking or, um, you know, what are my competitors um, doing with advertising keywords or, you know, any, whatever that kind of stuff is that, that um, I probably should be doing. I'm not doing it. I just don't do it. <laughs> So, um, your focus is on the creative. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now where I definitely feel like I probably need to employ somebody else to worry about that kind of stuff, um, for me. But, um, up until now, I just, uh, I haven't wanted to do it and I haven't needed to do it. I've been very lucky that my work has kind of just risen to the top on its own. Um, or I don't know, I shouldn't say the top. I don't know what the top is because I don't <laughs> do any of that kind of like market research that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, that is so freeing. <laughs> I'm kind of in awe that because I'm <laughs> such a like marketer by, you know, just it's sort of ingrained in me. But man, yeah. that's that sounds actually amazingly freeing and you've clearly uh, built a business at a rate i mean you you've said publicly how you were unprepared for the positive reaction that came at you when you started your business so maybe let's let's move over to that so talk a little bit about your search for designs that you wanted to cross stitch and how that turned into you know, the business that you have today? Um, well, I, you know, I had, I've had a very um, uh, complicated career history, I guess you could say. I'm, you know, I think I'm on at least life four of my nine lives. Um, and I've, I feel like everything sort of prepared me for this moment, I guess, which is as silly sounding, you know, it's not like it's the Olympics or something, but I just, um, you know, I, I dabbled in a lot of things that led me to the point where I had a strong background in textiles and needlework. And I had worked as a seamstress 
But then I also pivoted and worked in animation and studied that and got very um, interested in graphic design and really sort of honed my personal aesthetic there and um, got to a point in my career where I was just feeling like I want to be doing something for myself. I want to be doing my own creative thing because for years I had been using my creativity to sort of um, make other people's visions a reality, um, whether it was theater or film or, um, you know, working as a seamstress or um, I was always sort of working for someone else's vision and I was tired of that. And I, sort of looked around at the creative world. Etsy was, you know, becoming a really big thing, and everybody kept telling me... Around what time was this? Uh, 2011, 2012. Okay. Um, and everybody was sort of telling me, you got to have an Etsy shop. You're so creative. You're so crafty. You could totally do that. And I just thought um, the last thing I wanted to do was production <laughs> because I'd done it. You know, I didn't want to make, like, design one th thing or five things or whatever, and then make duplicates of them over and over and over. Like that just was the, I had done that um, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And um, I, cross-stitch sort of became the thing for me because I saw an opening there. You know, I looked, I was so multidisciplinary that I felt like I could kind of do anything, but I specifically saw that cross-stitch needed an update, you know, it needed a new eye. And um, at that point, I didn't realize, I just saw what was on the cross, the shelves in big chain stores for cross-stitch. And I thought I would never make any of this. It was very outdated and, you know, sort of frumpy. And I thought, this is not me. I wouldn't make this stuff. Um, I just thought with my background, I could do, you know, it's almost basically just graphic design, but applied to fabric, um, is sort of how I approached cross stitch and, um, pattern selling just seemed to me like a really great business model, uh, because, you know, you do that research and development and, make a sample and work out the kinks and write up the pattern. And then that pattern becomes a source of passive income while you work on new things and you don't have to keep making that same thing over and over. And that really appealed to me. Um, and yeah. And at the time when I first was launching at Satsuma street, there weren't a ton of cross stitch pattern sellers on Etsy there were a handful, um, but it was back in the days before instant downloads were available on Etsy. So you had to actually email files to everybody, yeah. Um, yeah. which was now looking back, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I spent all day just emailing <laughs> files. To that that felt really freeing at the time because, yeah. Yeah. you know, before that, you would have had to mail. Right, right. Right. Um, and there wasn't even payment. I mean, people would have had, I, you know, I had a craft business and I don't know, maybe 2002 or something. And it was like people 
mailed physical checks to me. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like the whole process. And it was four to six weeks to get your handmade thing or whatever. And so it's just the, it's, so even though that sounds laborious now, that was actually a huge gift. Totally, totally. At the time, it seemed like, oh my God, people are paying me for a digital file that I, you know, that's, it seemed mind boggling to me then. Um, You know, now it's just like, it's, it's so um, commonplace that it, we forget that at one point that was a revolution. Um, so I just, um, I don't remember now what your original question was, to be honest. <laughs> it was something about um, sort of how did I. Yeah, we were just, we were my- just talking about your transition into, into this business. Yeah. Yeah. Cross-stitch. So you spent time, you alluded to the fact that you spent time working in film, but you, you know, it's not really something to brush over. You worked on major blockbusters <laughs> like Iron Man and Hulk and Men in Black. And what I was struck by when reading that was those are all really, I mean, blockbuster infers sort of loud projects. Like there's mm. a lot of like literal noise, but also just figurative. They're supposed to be big and bombastic. And 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 Cross Stitch is so quiet and contained. <laughs> and I wonder if you could speak a little to the different places that the two crafts for you or the different ways that, that that those crafts filled your creative soul, the different ways that they spoke to you. And if one, and if choosing one after working the other was related, if it was just a ginormous pivot, or mm-hmm. or if it felt less, if it all feels like it, it fills the same creative space. Um, no, you know what's interesting is, I, I think for people who've never worked in film, you kind of... Um, you see the finished product and you're just like, wow, this is mind blowing. It's so, you know, it's this big, huge thing. But in reality, it's a, a year or two years of a bunch of individual people sitting at their desks doing one tiny little part of this giant thing. Um, and it's a collaborative effort for sure. And that was probably the thing I loved the most about it was the times when it was, when it felt really collaborative when you were, I was incredibly lucky to be in a position um, on most of the films I worked on where I could actually be in the room with the director while they worked out, you know, ideas and problems and looked at shots and said, no, this isn't working. Let's change this thing. You know, so that's pretty most people working on a movie are just kind of off in their corner doing their little portion of it and they don't get to be kind of at the heart of it like that. Um, but ultimately it is just, you're just a part of this giant machine that is chugging forward to the final product. Um, and every time I went and saw one of the movies that I worked on finished, I would see big sections of it that I had had no part of, you know, and it was like, Oh wow, this is cool. I've never seen this part of this movie. Um, so, and I think everybody who works on a movie has that kind of experience. It's like, once you finally see it all put together, it's like, Oh, that's what we were all working on, you know? Um, and so 
it was a very, but there was a part of me that enjoyed that and enjoyed that collaborative sort of effort. Um, originally I started out in working in theater and it was much the same thing where it was just like, you're contributing to this, a part to this greater, um, whole, you know? Um, but I, as I said, there was a part of me that really just wanted to be the one at the, you know, the front of the room, I guess, is the only way that I can think to put it. I wanted to be the person whose vision was being put out there in the world. And um, so, yeah, cross-stitch is a completely different experience. Now my life is incredibly isolated for the most part. I'm just working at my desk alone, coming up with my ideas alone, um, doing everything in this very sort of um, yeah, isolated, uh, environment is the only way I can think to put it. Um, and so it's a very, very different life, but it's now, it's definitely the most creatively fulfilled that I've ever felt because it is all me. When you were a kid, you started <laughs> cross-stitching with your grandmother. Were mm-hmm. you were you creative in other realms? Were you were you doing other crafts? Were you already interested in needle arts and costumes and graphics? Yeah, for sure. I did everything. Um, I was I was very lucky to grow up in a um, a era and a place. I grew up in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and my parents were very kind of hippie counterculture types. And I went to a alternative elementary school that was very, you know, we called now we call it the hippie school. Um, <laughs> it was very creative. There were no grades. There were no desks. It was all just very, um, very seventies. Um, <laughs> and I had, and I was an only child. And so I had a ton of alone time, you know, it was, my parents were not the sort of modern helicopter parent types, you know, they were just sort of like, okay, go spend the day doing whatever you want to do. Um, and to fill that time, I sort of did everything. I painted, I drew, I made dollhouses, and I I was very into sort of creating these little worlds for myself. You know, I would, I would do things like stage a production of the nutcracker with all of my stuffed animals as the cast and I would make costumes for each of them and make sets and sell tickets and you know That's so amazing. I was <laughs> I was that kind of kid you know yeah. uh, and uh so yeah I did everything I was interested I sort of dabbled in everything and um that for a long time growing up you know as once I kind of got older and was sort of trying to figure out what do I want to do with myself I felt like that was a little bit of a hindrance that I was this um but I had never sort of picked a focus you know that I kind of did a little bit of everything but now I think that that really prepared me for um being able to kind of not just run a create 
be a creative person, but also run a creative business and work with other people. And I'm not afraid to sort of jump in and be like, oh, okay, I need to learn this new cross-stitch software. And oh, I should figure out how to, you know, do this Photoshop thing. And, you know, you just, I, I think dabbling in everything has kind of made me able to do what I do now, for sure. And in solitude, so do it by yourself. If you were doing that, I mean, if you were doing all of that, if you're staging an entire Nutcracker production, I mean, you were you were ready to sort of take on the world on your own. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because my whole life, people have have remarked on the fact that I am perfectly comfortable being alone for long stretches of time. I'm not one of those people who's like got to be around others. Um, you know, things like these new co-working spaces, mm-hmm. that just sounds horrible to me. <laughs> I don't want to be brainstormer. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to <laughs> be surrounded by other people. I don't want to go, you know, to Starbucks and work on my computer while there's a dozen other people working on their computers. I find that distracting. I love to be alone and I have no problem, like, just spending stretches of time just by myself doing my own thing, um, which I know to some people is just, they hate that. Um, but I think growing up that way, that's just, that's how I've always preferred to be, you know, so it works out for me. So if you don't necessarily have, you know, a community of creative types that you're at least on a regular basis, bouncing ideas off of or whatever how do you how do you keep those creative ideas flowing do you have any you know rituals that you do if you ever feel like you're in a slump or is there a process walk us through your process a little bit um yeah well I definitely um it's funny that you mentioned going through a slump because I've I've kind of been in one for the last couple of months um which is anybody who is creative does create yeah no is it is happens. super scary yeah it um, happens yeah. to everyone sure and and um you have to know that you know you have to accept that this happens to everybody it's totally normal you got to just work through it but it's it's a little terrifying when you suddenly feel like oh my god the ideas have dried up um <laughs> so i when that happens i I really try to just immerse myself in the things that inspire me. So I will go to museums. I will, um, I really try to, as I said earlier, look to other sources. I try to not look at what people are doing in my field. So I try to go, you know, I'll go look at a costume exhibit at LACMA or I'll go, you know, to a, exhibit of Van Gogh paintings or um, if I'm at home, I have this massive collection of of books that I've acquired over the years of, um, you know, art history and um, vintage craft books and um, all of that, you know, kind of material. And I'll just, if I'm really in a slump, I will just spend a couple of days sitting on the floor in my office, surrounded by piles of books, kind of just flipping through them and letting them um, influence me 
and I have practice that I, I picked up from um, Timothy Ferris. Do you know his podcast? I don't. Um, and, oh, he, he wrote that four-hour work week book that exploded and turned into this huge thing. Um, and he has a book called Tools of Titans that I, I really enjoy that it's sort of just little interviews with different uh, entrepreneurs and creative types. And um, it's just a great little thing to sort of dip in and out of when you're, when you're looking for some uh, inspiration to kind of get going. And one of the ideas um, suggested in there was to sit down every day and come up with a list of 20 new ideas. Mm. And knowing that most days, those are all going to be terrible ideas. Um, that, or maybe you'll find one idea on that list that you could develop further. Um, so I, that when I'm stuck, it's I kind of a, like start. a mind dump, just getting yeah. everything out. Yeah. So there's room for the, yeah, the good stuff just, to surface. Sure, exactly. And then I and I keep those lists, and I'll I'll go back and be like, oh, hey, actually, that one isn't a bad idea. Maybe I'll, I'll kind of ruminate on that idea. Um, and color, I, you know, is a huge part of my work. And so sometimes I'll even just dump out a bunch of embroidery floss on my desk and start sort of making little color palettes for myself and, and think, okay, this is a pretty combination of colors. What could I do with this? Um, so yeah, it's, I don't have a straightforward sort of process of like how I go from no idea to a finished product, but um, I have a lot of tools that I try to use when I'm, when I need to get going, I guess. What do you hope that your customers and followers and fans take away with them from, from your work? Oof. Um, <laughs> I, what I love more than anything is to hear people just to hear the simple thing of people saying it makes them happy to make my, my patterns, you know, and I hear that over and over again and it, to the point where I sort of made it my slogan, um, is cross stitch for a happy world. I feel like I think the world would be a place if everybody could spend a little time each day just sitting quietly and working on something creative. 100%. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be cross-stitch, but I would love it if it were. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just think it it adds so much value to people's lives to be able to just um, spend a little time sort of doing something meditative like that. And, um, I hear that all the time from customers and, um, even, you know, really intense stories. Sometimes I'll hear from people. I just recently kind of went through a little bit of a health challenge and, um, being able to sit and just do that and take my mind off of it was really, uh, helpful for me. And I hear these stories from people that are just so intense of like, really serious health issues or grief or anxiety that um, that they've been able to work through in part by sitting and working on a craft. Um, 
So I love that. And I feel like there's a sort of awareness that I see rising in the craft world that this is an important role that craft can play in society right now because people are so stressed and freaked out and um, there's so much anger and so much division and I think more and more people are realizing like hey there's this isn't just something fun to do while you're watching tv this can actually be like a really restorative thing in the vein of meditation or yoga or something like that that it's it's calming your brain down and putting your mind into a different mode of thinking that is actually really needed right now yeah and i think you know putting something positive out into the world is also it gives it there's a certain form of power during a time where often people are feeling powerless and i also i'm a firm believer that creativity leads to openness and if we're all open we're more likely to listen to each other and that can only be the beginning of progress yeah for sure for sure and you know just to go back to the 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 world we're living in now that's so easily interconnected um you know i have customers from all over the world and all walks of life who you know i see their their project on facebook or whatever and you know maybe i'll see like ooh they have a different if i look at their profile or whatever i kind of can be like ooh they're politically a little different than me or they're from uh, you know a different part of the world that i don't know much about but there's this thing that's connecting us and it's sort of like yeah you know what we do have things in common and we can yeah we can bond over that you know and maybe be a little more understanding of the other differences well jody thank you so much for being here i've really enjoyed our conversation well thank you thanks for having me it's been fun for more information on jody rice and susuma street go to her show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish all right now it is time for what i'm crafting ish too this is in partnership with penguin random house audio and it's just a segment where i kind of fill you in on what's keeping me entertained while i work and hand make a bunch of stuff during the week So I finally got a chance on the flight back from D.C. um, a few days ago to listen to an episode of my friend Elizabeth McQueen's podcast, This Song. So she has this great podcast where she interviews musicians um, just about songs that have affected them. And it's for KUTX, which is one of our local NPR affiliates. A couple weeks ago, she and I spent a lot of time together at South by Southwest during what she told me about this interview she did with Amanda Palmer. Um, who you may know from the 90s band Dresden Dolls or more recently um, still from you know tons of great music but she's also really well known for both the TED Talk and the book that she wrote called Art the Art of Asking anyways she uh, Elizabeth does a very in-depth interview with Amanda Palmer it was live at South by and it is now up for your listening pleasure uh, wherever you get your podcasts and again it is called this song by Elizabeth McQueen so on screen I kind of blew through the umbrella academy which is on Netflix and it's kind of a 
I want to say comic, it, it is based on a graphic novel, which is not always my thing, but it's got a, an element of sort of mismatched family and whimsy and also sort of like the dark anti-hero you know, themes that seem to really drive great projects these days. So if you like a little bit of supernatural powers and some interesting family dynamics and a really beautifully shot, dark, you know, tableau, you should give it a try. So that's called The Umbrella Academy on Netflix. All right, let's talk audiobooks. So I recently, as recent as last night, <laughs> downloaded a new audiobook called Too Much Is Not Enough by Broadway actor Andrew Rennells, who is well known for a multitude of projects, including for originating the Elder Price rule in the Broadway play Book of Mormon. So I didn't see the original, but rather a touring production here in Austin years later, and it really wasn't my thing. I have sort of a love-hate relationship with um, the play's creators, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Um, I'm not really a pearl clutcher. I'm not anywhere near a pearl clutcher, but sometimes vulgar humor is kind of like not really my gig. But I did... I did get tickets to go see it because I felt like Book of Mormon could potentially be a gateway drug for my fairly musical theater reluctant husband. The win there was that it was just that. He really, really liked it, and since has gone with me to see the touring production of Wicked, as well as Matilda on actual Broadway with our daughter. Wait, where was I? Oh, Andrew Rennell's book. So I wasn't necessarily as familiar with Andrew as a true theater nerd should be. I still actually haven't even had a chance to watch HBO's Girls, for which he's also well known for. Anyways, um, so I wasn't as familiar as I was saying when I came across this audio, his audiobook, but a memoir written and read by a theater no, I'm sorry, make that specifically a musical theater star is bound to be entertaining no matter any of the specifics. So I downloaded it, and let me tell you, it is not disappointing. So I planned on just listening to the intro this morning, um, you know, just so I could sort of get the vibe and then and then share the summary. But I ended up listening to it, almost an hour of it while I took my little Bluetooth speaker from room to room you know, while I was getting other stuff done because it's so entertaining, like LOL entertaining. So get the over to tryaudiobooks.com or wherever you find your audiobooks and download Too Much Is Not Enough by Andrew Rennells. Oh, and also I mentioned this last week, but don't forget you can pre-order The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. It's up for pre-order right now. This is the sequel to Handmaid's Tale. Pretty excited about it. Just sharing it again. All right, that does it for us this week. Craftish is produced in Austin, Texas by me, Vicki Howell, and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you felt so inclined, I would love it if you give a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, and hey, do you know a knitter or a crocheter? Don't forget my business, Yarn Yay, is a subscription box business which delivers yarny delights right to your doorstep. So it's really it's really great, beautiful stuff um, and a community that's behind it. I'm online with them almost every day, well, actually every day. Uh, we're making together, sharing things, um, and just talking about some of these beautiful products. So if that sounds like something that anybody that you know would be into, just go to Yarn Yay, that's 
yarn and then Y-A-Y and dot com to check it out. All right, refresh your feed next week for another episode of the Craftish Podcast. Until then, breathe in, craft out.